Welcome to this week's podcast from Church on the Rock. We hope that it will challenge and inspire you to be a more passionate follower of Jesus. For more information about Church on the Rock, visit us at cotrcalera.com. Before I get into you know, my main message, I heard a story about this woman one time who, who had this extreme gratitude towards the Lord. And, uh, and, but she kind of had like a, kind of a weird way of going about expressing it, you know. I mean, how many of you know there's, there's different strokes for different folks, right? I mean, you know, there's just, you know, everybody's going to kind of do things a little bit differently. So every morning that she would wake up, she would open the front door and she would stand on her porch and she would scream, praise the Lord. I guess it was kind of her way of, of letting the whole neighborhood know that, that, she felt like that she needed to praise the Lord. Well, she had an atheist uh, neighbor uh, who lived next door, and this infuriated her every time um, that she did this to the point to where the atheist eventually got would, would, would kind of at, almost at the same time come out and be like, there is no Lord, <clears throat> you know? And so, uh, you know, this kind of went on and on. And finally, well, um, what one day the atheist that was there actually uh, while she was out working in her lawn overheard her neighbor on you know on the you know in her kitchen or in, in her living room praying to God and when she was praying to God she was she was praying that God would give her some food because she didn't have any food and she didn't have any money and all this kind of stuff and so um, what what this atheist decided to do she thought it, it thinking it would be funny that uh, she went and bought all sorts of groceries uh, for this lady and, was, and went and put it on the front porch uh, for her. Uh, you know, hearing that the Lord, w- uh, he, she was asking the Lord for it and she thought it'd be funny if she did it. And the next morning, the lady screamed, praise the Lord who gave me this food. And the neighbor, laughing so hard, she could barely get the words out. She's like, it wasn't the Lord, it was me. Not to be dissuaded at all by what just happened, the lady next door, the little Christian lady who loved Jesus, she then replied, praise the Lord for not only giving me food, but making the atheist pay for it. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting perspective, right? So, anyways, that was one of my better laughs that I got. I guess y'all didn't see that coming, or that's just, you're not used to people standing on the porch screaming, praise the Lord. Amen. Well, so this week, though, we're going to be looking at the third element of what treasure means to us, and we're going to be talking about money for the glory of the Lord. Just what you wanted to talk about on Sunday morning, isn't it? As a matter of fact, one of the things that's very interesting, um, and one of the things that you actually see trending in churches today, is the idea uh, that we don't need to, and that we shouldn't be talking about money during our morning Sunday morning services. I, because I'm in pastor circles and I go to conferences and I'm talking to other people. This is actually a, a really trendy thing. And and the reason why one of these things, one th- this is kind of occurring in our modern day culture, is because there have been surveys that have been done by people who don't go to church. And one of the things that 
that people, one of the reasons why people say that they don't go to church is because they say that, that uh, they believe that the church just wants their money. And so then what happens is, is by getting the survey from unchurched people saying they don't church, go to church because they believe the church just wants their money, they, then the, the, the leaders of the church say, well, okay, let's stop talking about money so that they'll want to come to church. So we start creating this culturally relative. So, you know, what they do is, and, and this is, you know, a lot of it's convenient. Even the old, like, even like for us, when we come in here on Sunday mornings and we have, uh, you know, two ushers that walk down the aisle with a little uh, giving basket, that's, um, in, in some terms, that's, in some circles, that's old school. Like, Everything is done by texting or online, and certainly we have online elements with our giving here, uh, but they don't even have ushers that collect money anymore. It's just like we have kiosks in a foyer, we have uh, maybe a little lockbox thing that you can go slide a check into or something like that, and, and therefore, and, and so the, uh, the, the churches and stuff, for example, they will teach money and stuff when it comes to small group elements, but a lot of times they don't talk about it on Sunday mornings because of that particular reason. They're worried that, that people are going to be offended by talking about money. And I understand both sides of the coin. You know, for the most part, when we take up our offering, we talk about some things from a biblical perspective. You know, I, one of the things that we always try to do here at Church on a Rock is we try to budget our money well because I don't want there to ever be a Sunday morning for me to get up here on Sunday morning and feel like, gum, we really need to go offering today. Like, I don't want to feel that pressure because then that can put me in a position where my motives can be impure. So whenever I get up here and I talk about money, it's always from the standpoint of what does God's word have to say about our money? What does God's word have to say about how we spend our money and what we do with our money? Because listen, our money... Is just important to God as anything else in our life. Anything else in our life. And so what we're going to do today is, we're, and the truth be known, and this is what's really interesting, did you know that Jesus, for example, if you look at just a, at the life of Jesus, Jesus talked about money more than any other, except, more than any other subject in, in, that he talked about, with the exception of one thing. There was only one thing in all four of the Gospels that Jesus talked about more than he talked about money. It was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was the only thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, heaven, whatever, this kind of stuff. All right? It was the only thing that Jesus talked about more in the Bible besides money. So it's, it's really interesting to me, like if you're going to be offended by a church or a pastor, or you're not going to want to go to church because churches talk about money, like then, or, or if the pastor ever talking about money on Sunday mornings offends somebody, then it makes me wonder, do, like, do you ever read the Gospels? Do you read the Gospels and read the words of Jesus and how many times Jesus talks about money? And we know that Jesus was not, he was not greedy. He was not after people's money. He was not any of those, those things were not important to him. Okay? We know this, even 11 of the 40 parables that Jesus told had to do with money. 11 of the 40, a, a quarter, over a quarter, over 25% of the parables that Jesus talked about in the Bible had to do with money in some form or fashion. You see, Jesus was incredibly intentional about installing within this, this idea of generosity. Generosity. 
this idea that we should live our lives with an attitude of generosity, all right? I got a video I want you to show, I want to show you real quick. Yeah, so I was staffing a performing arts DTS, and we were preparing for outreach, and so uh, we decided to have a giving night. Um, and so what that means is basically just go away and pray and ask God if He wants you to give anything. Um, and it's just to encourage generosity. And yeah, so I was still needing uh, over $3,000. And I remember I was walking back to my house and asking God if there was anything for me to give. And I had been on staff for over two years. And so I was like, I don't really feel like I have anything that that's, that's that valuable. Um, but anyway, just asking God, and God said, give the most valuable thing that you have. Um, I didn't know what that was, and then as soon as I asked that question, my computer came to my mind, so I had a MacBook Air, and it had been given to me before I went to university. And, yeah, I was like, that's something that I need. Like, I was like, what's my computer? I love it. I use it every day. Um, and God just challenged me with this question about... Uh, what do I need more? Do I need my computer or do people need to hear the gospel more than I need my computer? Um, and yeah, at that, like at that moment I decided, you know what, like people need to hear the gospel more than I need my computer. And so, yeah, I put up my backpack and I went to giving night and I gave it away. And I never felt, like, never felt so free. Um, because I think it was a moment of me releasing what I feel like I need and actually aligning myself with the truth that, you know what, like the real need in the world is the gospel. Um, it's not tangible things. Um, so I came to that understanding more. And the very next day, someone came up to me and they were like, you know, last night God told me to give you my computer. And I just started laughing because, yeah, God still cared about those little things. and. You know, they felt like they were supposed to give me their computer, but that didn't make any sense because I had a computer already, but then they watched me give it away. And so, yeah, I got a computer, and then three days later, my average finances came in, um, which is just amazing. And it was in God's mercy and grace that He showed me, um, yeah, just how necessary the gospel is because it impacted my outreach so much more. YWAM is Youth with a Mission. It's a big missions organization that, that goes around. And, and so this, this young man was saying that um, he was asking God, God, what do you want me to give? And he said, God told him to give his most valuable thing, right? And it, to him, which was his computer, and, and to which he said, I, I need my computer. You know, I need my computer to do everything that I do in life. But he finally realized that the gospel was more important than him having a computer. So he gave his computer away in, in obedience. And because of his obedience, the very next day, somebody else came and gave him a computer. And then three days later, his $2,000 that he needed to come in. All right. Now, understand something. that, that This is the, when, I, when we're talking about money um, because it's such a big deal. We have to understand that, that God, God's not going to be outdone by you, okay? Like, there's never a moment that you can ever outgive God. You can't do it. Um, you, you couldn't even try to do it. 
Even if you tried to do it, you still would fail. I, I've heard um, you know, countless testimonies after testimony of people who have, who have tried in a way to give something extravagant beyond what is even reasonable or imaginative, thinking that I'm going to outgive God only for God to bring it back around. I know of a pastor who's a really, really well-known pastor out in California who has got to a place in his life where he reversed tithes, right? In other words, he, he tithes 90% of his income and he lives off 10. And he didn't start out by doing that, but it was something that he built up over the course of his time. And, and he, he began to work. I, I remember when I was in, in master's commission, there was this thing that we, the Assemblies of God does this thing, it's called Speed the Light, and when I was in the assemblies for a while, you know, I was involved in some of these things. And Speed the Light is a, is a missions fundraising organization, basically, with, with the young people um, in, 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 in the churches. And so I went to a Speed the Light conference down in Orlando, and I remember hearing testimony of, of, a young, of a young girl who was 17 years old in high school, uh, she had this really nice car um, that, that her parents had given her. And, of course, you know, her family were, were church-going people. And she said that, that God told her to give her car to speed the light to help missionaries who needed cars. So she said, I, I, I just really didn't know what to do. Of course, I had to check with my parents, uh, but I really felt like that I was supposed to do this. And she said, and I, I just was kind of resumed to the fact that, like, basically, I was just going to be without a car for a while because I just, you know, there wasn't anything I would be doing. So I, I went and I gave my car, and literally within a month, she said a random person came up to her and gave her their car that was even better than the one that she gave away in the first place. It was just, it was, it was just crazy. These stories over and over and over again, are, they're, they're countless. This idea that Jesus talks about money and how important it is that it's not something in our life, money and possessions, that it's not something in our life that we are just like, I've got to have these. I've got to hold on to this stuff. This stuff is so important for me. All right? And Jesus wants us to live with open hands, okay? all this kind of stuff. And so... There, there are two gospel stories when Jesus, with Jesus where, um, that kind of reveal the, the complicated relationship between faith and finances. In Luke chapter 19, we see where Jesus meets Zacchaeus, right? You, you remember singing the little songs when you, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Nobody? A wee little man was he, climbed up in... For the Lord he wanted to see. Now we're going human video level now, right? <clears throat> uh, but so it, that's the story. Zac Zacchaeus is up there and Jesus runs into him. All right. Jesus runs in, and, and Zacchaeus ends up, you know, inviting him to his house. Okay. And, and understanding the backstory of Zacchaeus, that he, listen, Zacchaeus became wealthy, okay, by robbing his own people by cheating his fellow Jews by being a tax collector, okay? That he was, he was, and that's the reason why tax collectors were hated so much in that particular day. It's not because they were collecting taxes, but it would be like if, you know, if Rome said, hey, you need to co-collect 10 denarii, then the tax collector would go, hey, you need to give me 30 denarii, and this is what you have to do. And you actually had to follow it, even though, and so then that tax collector would take the 20 and pocket it and give the 10, to, and they, they would literally rob their own people, all right? And so Zacchaeus became wealthy by cheating and robbing his own 
Jewish people. Okay, this, these were people just like him. And after a brief interaction with Jesus, Zacchaeus made the following, following commitment to God. In Luke chapter 19, verse 8, he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And then Jesus immediately responded to him and said, Today salvation has come to this house. Not because Zacchaeus was willing to give away all of his stuff. It wasn't a work that produced salvation at his house. It was salvation that produced the work. And Jesus recognized the work and recognized that God had done something in his heart. You see, because when God begins to work inside of our heart, we become generous. We become generous. Okay? We become like Jesus. We become like God. We become generous. When God work in our life, we become generous. Now, compare this interaction okay, with the response by a young man who came to Jesus for advice. Okay? And he falls at Jesus' feet. Okay? He falls at Jesus' feet asking what he must do to in- inherit eternal life. And Jesus' response, you need to keep the commandments. Okay? And the man responds that he has. Well, number one, we know that that's a lie because it's not possible to be perfect. Okay? But he has basically said, I am doing my best. Okay? I am keeping the commandments to the best of my ability. To which Jesus then tells him, because he was a rich young man, he says, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And we're told that the rich young man went away sad because he wasn't willing to do it. Now, why is it that Zacchaeus only had to give away half of his possessions and pay back all these people but Jesus made this young man give away all his possessions. Sell all you have and give it away and come follow me. Well, obviously, it's not be, there, we're not trying to create doctrine that the word of God says that you need to sell everything that you have and follow Jesus. Or you need to sell half of your possessions and follow Jesus. None of those kinds of things are true. Really what Jesus was trying to point out here is that even though this young man had claimed to be following the letter of the law to the T, he still had something in his life that was more important to him than following Jesus. And it was his money. You see, Zacchaeus' response to Jesus immediately impacted his pocketbook He promised to give half of what he owned to the poor, and out of the remaining, he vowed to pay back quadruple what he had defrauded others. But the rich young man who comes to Jesus to find eternal life discovers that money has become a boundary between himself and God. And this is where, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Either you will be devoted to one and hate the other, okay, or you will be uh, what, 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 what saying uh, you'll be or or you will you will de- be devoted to one and despise the other. Either way, you make the choice in your life 
uh, you could be just like the rich young man who has figured out all the right religious things to do with your life, with the one exception. And maybe the one exception sometime in our life is not money. Maybe it's something else. Like, I love Jesus, but I love him to a point. I love him with 99% of my life, but I don't love him with that 1%. That there's this 1% part of my life. There's one area of my life just not willing to let go of. And this is the exact same situation, okay, that this rich young man found himself in as well. And I want us to watch another video of another guy's testimony. So, uh, I mean, my, my life was driven around being successful. Uh, what was super easy for me is studying, uh, performing on tests, learning how to be uh, the best. And um, that rolled right into my career. Everything I did was for to be successful at work, to help my company, but to earn a salary. And I was worried, really worried about how much money I could make more so so I could see how much I could save. It was really hoarding for me. It wasn't, I wasn't a spender. Um, so actually it was really cheap in what I spent, but really big on how I uh, funded my future. I was really worried about, you know, what's Taylor going to be like when he retires. And I had started my walk uh, in faith, but fairly minor. Um, and when I was rattled, I had something to grab onto, uh, which was my wife, Lindsay. And as we were going through this, she, we started to get more and more uh, into the church. But it was all, again, on my level, just gathering information, hearing nice sermons. And uh, that was nice. And Lindsay really challenged me um, to tithe. And it was when I started to tithe that I started to regret those checks and why I was doing that. Um, I, it was easy for me to calculate the impact that I was going to have. Um, it was very easy for me to... Um, understand that that was adding up to be a lot of money. We were getting asked to move. Again, I was following our career. We were being asked to move out of the country. The one car that we had in San Francisco, we didn't need. And I'm working on where we're gonna park this thing. You know, I can get a friend to use it. We'll be good. We're coming back at some point. We'll need it. Just paid it off, I don't know, I think three or four weeks prior to this. And my wife wakes up and has this dream. You need to give the car away. And we don't need it, and God has asked us to give it to the church. I'm like, well, you know, God should run this stuff by me. <laughs> I'm like, people don't do that. I go, don't you understand? Like, we're already tithing. This is not, like, what do I not tithe now for the next, you know, X number of months? I mean, how does this work? And I'm trying just to process this in my head. It just wasn't, wasn't making sense. And um, only because of my love for Lindsay, not my appreciation for God, because I just couldn't grab my hands around it, I said, we'll do it. I couldn't say no to her. Her is who I was really, um, that, that's who I was talking to, to be honest. And what I do remember is coming home from out of the country, we had to do some things back in San Francisco, being excited to go to church, even though I knew like, man, what are they gonna do? I, 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 need, I wanted to see some validation what we're doing with this gift. And a gentleman, uh, one of the pastors who had changed my life, he tapped me on the shoulder, I turned around, and uh, just face just flooding with tears. And I say, hey, Sam, what's up? And he goes, um, I heard someone is donating a car to the church. 
And I said, oh, well, that was Lindsay. Um, <laughs> I said, yeah, if you want to thank anybody, you should thank Lindsay. He goes, no, no, Taylor, I want to thank you. He said, um, you know, ever since I met you, I have seen you grow, and I have um, now, my life's been changed. You see, my um, our one car for our family of the three-year-old and our baby coming just was deemed non-usable. I, I can't afford to fix it, and we're 30 minutes away, and I don't know how I was gonna get to work. God worked through your wife, through you, to give us this car. As I especially look back, it's easy to see where I was willing to take some steps. Um, and those were what were comfortable for me. I was fine giving some time. I was fine listening and learning and reading. Where I just drew the line is um, my ability to give, uh, especially of, of a financial nature. Um, of all the things that I've done, God has blessed me 10x what I ever thought was possible. Things have just been far more spiritually powerful. And it's just, uh, it's, it's becoming more who we are uh, as a family. Um, to be very honest, we do drives and we help teachers with supplies. Uh, I still question, is Lindsay going a little too far? And I have to just remind myself and put myself in check and just know that she has the best interests of our family and know that she loves our family and I know that she is, and I thank God that she is as generous as she is because I think she's ministering to me on a daily basis. And it helps me uh, with my addiction. Um, I mean, uh, there's AA for alcoholics and there's my life for generosity. <laughs>
it was called a tent. And that's what it was. It was, and really it was, uh, it, when he first brought it about, it was the first 10% of the increase of your labor is the idea. The increase of your labor. Um, so there was a, this 10% that, that, that God had told the people that they were supposed to take the first 10%. So that could come in, in the form of uh, uh, fruit or vegetables or it came in livestock or whatever that the people would, would divide out the first 10% and they would take it and they would give it to the Levitical uh, priesthood, the Levitical clan. And the reason why that they came and would give it to the Levitical uh, priesthood and the Levitical clan it was so that the Levites didn't have to worry about um, having, uh, you know, taking care of themselves and having other jobs, that they could only worry themselves with doing the work that needed to be done within the temple because that's what the Levite clan did. They were all about serving in the temple and working in the temple and all this kind of stuff. They were kind of considered to be the priest. And so God had the people, the other, you know, 11 tribes, all right? When I say clans, 11, there were 12 tribes, all right? They had other 11 tribes come and bring, they were to bring their 10%. They would give it to the Levitical tribe, and that's how they were able to function and provide for themselves and go about even the prophet Malachi later on uh, went on to prophesy a message to the entire nation of Israel concerning this issue of tithing. And we find this in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8. It says, you people are robbing me, your God. And here you are asking, here you are asking, how are we robbing you? You are robbing me of the offerings and of the 10% that belongs to me. That's why your whole nation is under a curse. I am the Lord, all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Then I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with a blessing after blessing. Right? So even Malachi, later on, even after Abraham and Jacob, because you know when he established it with Abraham and Jacob, even since that particular time, Malachi came along and even spoke to the nation and says, the entire nation is living under a curse because you're refusing to tithe the way that you should. And he goes on to say, listen, if you will challenge me, test me, and see, he says, bring the whole 10% into the storehouse, into the place where it's supposed to be, and see what I will do for you. He says, I will pour out, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing after blessing after blessing. All right? So there, there are two sides to this particular thing, two, two very serious sides to this coin. One, either you're under a curse because you're robbing God of what belongs to him, or you are being abundantly blessed because of your generosity to God and because you give and sow into his kingdom. This is what we see here in Scripture. And I've often referred to it like this, because um, if you understand the difference between a tithe and an offering, a tithe, it, we say the tithe is the Lord's. Actually, the Bible says it, if you read, um, I think it's in Numbers, it says the tithe is holy and it belongs to the Lord. So the tithe is the Lord's, and that's the 10% of the, of the first 10% of what we bring in. The offering is ours, okay, that goes beyond the 10%, okay? The offering that is ours goes beyond the 10% that we choose to give God above and beyond 
um, the tithe that is automatically his. So if you recognize and you look at the fact that God is the source of everything that we have, all right, if he's the source of everything that we have and that he has brought into us everything that we have currently, then we recognize that all this God, God is doing is this, is that God has given us 10 apples and he's asked us to give him one back. Nobody in your right mind, if somebody came up and gave you a bag, they just gave you a bag of 10 apples and said, hey, I'm going to give you this 10 apples, but I'm just, will you give me one back? Nobody in the right mind would be like, no, heck no. Crazy? These are my apples now. This is what God does. He gives us 10 apples and he says, one is mine, I want you to give it back to me, all right? And, And then, so we see this Old Testament covenant this Old Testament thing that God had established inside of his people, this issue of the tithe and tithing and taking the 10% and giving it to God. All these, and this was, this was important, so important, so that, that Malachi it prophesied these words that were extremely difficult. And even, you know, all, even all throughout Old Testament, you can see all kinds of conversations in Scripture that talk about you know, uh, bringing and giving God to your wealth and how God will, will bless you and bring prosperity back to you. All right? And so when it, what happens is, is this was Old Covenant Scripture. Then Jesus comes along, and there really isn't much talk about tithe. As you, you, I think there's probably only one reference to the tithe in the Gospels. And if you go look all the New Testament Scripture, there's no conversation of the tithe anywhere in the New Testament with the exception of one reference that Jesus makes about it. And when Jesus makes this reference, he makes it talking to the Pharisees. And in talking to the Pharisees, he's telling them basically that, hey, you know what, guys? Y- y'all have got it all wrong, okay? That you shouldn't be rejecting greater things like justice, mercy, and faithfulness, and still at the same time fulfilling the smaller, okay, the lesser things in your life like the tithing. And he actually mentions it. Hey, it's great that you tithe, and you should. This is what he's saying. It's great that you tithe, and you should be doing that, but you should also embrace love and mercy and faithfulness and grace. All of these things that God is saying, these are greater things, right? But he doesn't say that you worry about things that you shouldn't even be doing now anymore. No, he says these are things you should be doing, but you should also be doing. So Jesus actually does affirm the tithe in one particular statement. But then, of course, we get into uh, the New Testament scripture, and we see nothing about the tithe. We see nothing about that conversation in the Bible. But the truth be known is that um, we do see a lot of conversation about generosity, we do see a lot of conversation about giving in New Testament Scripture. And the truth being known is that, you know, when you listen to the words of Jesus, and Jesus talks about grace, that, that as a believer, we don't, we don't live under the law anymore. We live under grace, right? We, don't, we, we, don't, we live by the Spirit. We don't live according to the law, all right? And so what, what he, ref- he gave us several examples of that, right? So he says, you've heard it say, do not commit murder, which is the law. But I say, do not hate somebody in your heart, which is a, which is a higher standard, murder or hate? Well, hate is, because you can't murder somebody without hate existing in your heart first. He says, you've heard it say, do not commit adultery, which is the law. But I tell you, do not lust. Which is the higher standard? The higher standard is lust. 
because you won't commit adultery if you don't lust. All right? So everything that Jesus tells us in, in, in Scripture, in the New Testament Scripture, this idea of us walking in grace, this idea of living in grace, that we're not under the law anymore, that we're, we live according to the Spirit, every time that Jesus used something of the law to explain it in current day form, it was always the current day living by the Spirit and living according to grace was a higher standard than what the law established. And so if anything, you could say that the 10% would be a baseline. It would be a baseline for where we all begin, like this is the law. So do not commit murder, like hey, I haven't committed murder. Do not commit adultery. Hey, I haven't committed adultery. And hey, I'm t-. that's the baseline of everything that we maybe should start in because that was the law that God had established in the past, but now we live under grace. So in New Testament Scripture, this is the kind of stuff that we find in New Testament Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, verse 45, it says this, that they would sell their property and possessions and give the money to whoever was in need. All right, this is the New Testament church, okay? They, forget 10%, they, they sold their property and their possessions and they just gave it away to whoever needed it. Hadn't heard nobody asking for that yet. Here, Acts chapter 4, verse 34, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many who were owners of land or houses sold those land, that land and that house and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Can you imagine the, the offense if a pastor of a local, decent-sized church uh, said, I believe that God wants you to sell your property and come and lay it at my feet. I mean, we'd be like, who, who are you to think that we need to come put money at your feet? All right? Now, maybe it was kind of like semantics, right? This is the tradition or something like that, right? Because, like, in Mexico, like, the, the many times that I've been to Mexico and been a part of their services, one of the things that they would do is that they had just people standing in the front with baskets, and anybody that had anything to give, you just get up by your seat. You had to walk down the front, drop it in a basket, and walk back and sit down your seat. And that's the way they did it, right? Um, it wasn't like this secret online giving, you know, or like, you know, text to give. It wasn't you know, somebody walking and serving you in your seat or something like that. So whatever, I don't know. But that's, that's pretty serious that these people were selling their houses and their property and their possessions. And, and this was obviously a move of God in that moment. I'm not trying to stand in here and say, you need to sell your house. <laughs> I'm not selling my house right now. If God tells me to, I will. Okay. <clears throat> we'll work that out later, okay? Uh, so... Um, it, it's, it's, that's not what we're talking about here. There was a specific move of God in that moment, all right, in, in the, the Pentecostal church and the, and the Holy Spirit dropping and, and, and God's establishing his church. The Bible says they're adding to the church numbers daily. Every day people are being added to the church. Can you imagine? Uh, the church was growing significantly and rapidly. There was a move of God. And in the midst of a move of God, there was a move of generosity, 
Okay? There was a move of generosity amongst the people to give. All right? In, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, we'll read some writings of the Apostle Paul, right? So who also wrote the reference that we use to talk about our sermon series, right? I run with purpose in every step. Here's the same guy writing to the church in Corinth. He says, my dear friends, we want you to know that the churches in Macedonia have shown others how kind God is. Although they were going through hard times and were very poor, they were glad to give generously. They gave as much as they could afford and even more simply because they wanted to. They even asked and begged us to let them have the joy of giving their money for God's people. And they did more than we had hoped. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us, just as God wanted them to do. Titus was the one uh, who, who got you started doing this good thing, so we begged him to have you finish what you had begun. You do everything better than anyone else. You have stronger faith. You speak better and no more. You are eager to give and you love us better. Now you must give more generously than anyone else. I am not ordering you to do this. I am simply testing how real your love is by comparing it with the concern that others have shown. You know that the Lord Jesus Christ was kind enough to give up all his riches and become poor so that you could become rich. Your Lord Jesus gave up all of his riches to become poor so that we could become rich. And obviously, that passage isn't necessarily talking about money because we are rich in other things as well, right? We, we have become rich in mercy, in love, in grace, in kindness. We've become rich in so many things in our life. It doesn't necessarily imply money but the whole scripture, the whole passage, Paul talking about the church in Macedonia that was a very, very poor church. They had nothing to give, and yet they were extremely generous and, and gave not only what they could afford, but even beyond what they could afford. Even when you go on to the next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, each of you must make up your mind about how much to give, but don't feel sorry that you must give, and don't feel that you are being forced to give. God loves people who love to give. God can bless you with everything you need, and you will always have more than enough to do all kinds of good things for others. The scripture says, God freely gives his gifts to the poor and always does right. God gives seed to the farmer and provides everyone with food. He will increase what you have so that you can give even more to those in need. You will be blessed in every way, and you will be able to keep on being generous. Then many people will thank God when we deliver your gift. All right? This is, it, God, Paul is saying, you know, don't, don't do it begrudgingly. You're like, gosh, dog, I can't make me feel bad. It's just, that's not the right way to have the mindset. That's not the right way to think about it. Paul, he says that God loves a cheerful giver, somebody who has said, you know what, these worldly, earthly possessions, this money, these resources that I make here on this earth, okay, they're not something for me to hold on to. It's not something to be the most important thing in my life, and I'm willing to let it go, and I'm willing to give cheerfully to God and honor the Lord with my wealth and give back to him because he's given me so much, and I just, I pour out my blessing, and, and the Bible says, listen, Paul says, listen, 
if you will live like this, God will bless you even more. You will always have what you need and even more. And God will give you even more than what you already have so you can continue to give away and be a blessing to other people. So God blesses us, you know, this this whole idea of like the prosperity gospel, uh, name it, claim it, whatever, this kinds of things that, that exist out there. And again, with every misuse of scripture and stuff that there's been and misunderstanding or misinterpretation of things, there's always elements of truth, right, in there. And that, listen, that God doesn't want you to become prosperous so you can build your kingdom, okay? So that you can, so that you can wallow in all of your prosperity. God will allow you to become prosperous when he knows that he can trust you. Now, that doesn't mean that there are, there are people out there that have become extremely prosperous doing, who don't love God, who don't do things the right way. Um, but l- let, me, let me just be honest with you. That money does not satisfy them. That money does not, does not, um, money does not equal satisfaction in life. It may, it may provide a lot of stuff. I, I remember hearing back in uh, the late 90s, they produced, there was a, or it was actually the early 2000s, they produced a list of the top 10 most wealthiest people in the 90s, okay? And, and six or seven on the list had committed suicide by the time the list had come out. It was the most pros, prosperous people, all right, that had all kinds of money, and yet the money never, it, it didn't, it doesn't satisfy you. Earthly possessions don't satisfy you. Yeah, and, and listen, if you want to bring it back around to maybe the way that you ever, and I've been here before. Uh, trust me, I've been here before. Like, you know, they got the, the new iPhone 11 XR. That's, you know, I don't, you know, iPhone 20. So it's, the, and, and the new one's coming out, and you're like, oh, my gosh, man, like, if I could just have this new, it's like, oh. Like, look what it can do. Like, it can actually make me breakfast in the morning now. And I just, I just got to have this new, I mean, right? And you, don't, you wouldn't ever talk that way, but in your mind, it's like, wow, like, this would be so cool if I could have this. Because it's just, you know, and then, like, then you finally go get the phone. You go and you finally splurge and you get the phone and you got the phone. And then it's like, it's just another phone. It's just like, there's kind of a letdown a little bit, right? Okay? That's because, you know, you you thought that that one thing would satisfy you, and it didn't, because possessions and money and material things don't satisfy us. We we were created to only be satisfied by God's presence, by His purpose, and so God will allow us to become blessed so that we can be a blessing, right? The scripture says it is more blessed to give than to receive. There have been times in my life where people gave me things, right? And I'm like, oh, such a blessing, right? And then God, God opened my eyes to something one day, like when somebody was taking me out to a really nice meal and paying for my meal, he said, Who's more blessed here, you or the person who's paying for your meal? And I'm like, well, I'm pretty blessed, but 
for them to have the money to be able to pay for my meal and their meal means that they're in a much better position of blessing than I am. It's much more blessed to give than it is to receive. And the more we give, the more God begins to bless us because we begin to live a life of generosity. And this is what we see in Scripture. And, and we see this. Um, and so Paul, he wrote all these Scriptures about talking about living with purpose in every step and, and on all these kinds of things. And, and the same exact writer, he's writing these passages to the church in Corinth about living a life of generosity and going above and beyond and, and excelling in the grace of generosity. He says all of these things that, that God is going to, he's going to bless you and he's going to bring favor upon you. All of these things, and they, they coincide, they work together. And you remember, it's hard to live with purpose in our life when our heart is not connected to the purposes of God. And if our heart's not connected to the purpose of God, there's a reason why our heart's not connected, all right? Because our heart would be connected somewhere else. Our heart goes wherever our treasure goes. Our heart goes wherever we spend our time, wherever we give our talents, and wherever we put our money. That's where our heart goes. And if we want our heart more fully engulfed in the kingdom of God, in the purposes of God, so that we can live with purpose in every step, okay, then we have to understand that, that it is going to require and involve in this area of our life where God's going to come in and say, hey, th- this is important to me. Every area of our life is important. And so, so we see there, even in the New Testament Scripture, that really the standard of giving is expected to be higher than it is the tenth. But the tenth is kind of like a baseline to where to start and, and how important it is. And the testimonies of people that I've heard over the years of my life said, man, I wasn't tithing, then I didn't feel like I could do it, then I started doing it, and all of a sudden, you know, like I found a $1,000 check in my room, and I didn't even know where it was. It's like, it's, I'm not even kidding. Like, I've had somebody tell me that before. Like, I started tithing, and like a month later, I found a $1,000 check in my room. It's like, I don't even know where it came from, but it was addressed to me, and it was my. All right, so it's like, just, look, that doesn't happen often, okay? And I will just be honest, it's never happened to me, all right? But there have been some incredible moments in my life that, that when, when I'm when I, being a tither and giving to God, there have been moments in my life where I'm just, I'm overwhelmed at the things that God does for me, that he'll just bring things in, in favor and opportunities to, to, to save money and, and, and to do it because God's just, he knows that when you can trust you with the money, he, he will continue to bless you and more. And it doesn't matter if you have a lot or if you have little, you can still trust him. And I got one more video I want you to show and then we're going to wrap it up. My name is Nyoka Keen. I started coming to the vineyard about 15 years ago. Uh, moved in down the street from Pastor Kevin and he invited us to church and we've been coming here ever since. So my story began in January when the company that I was working with decided they were going to close down. So I started putting an application all over the place. I probably put in about 30 applications to be honest with you, but with no calls. So I became a little bit nervous and decided to kind of hold back my cash just in case I didn't get a job in time. So still came to church, but wasn't really given anything. And something said to me, you know, every time Pastor Kevin would do the first and 10, we would try it, me and my daughter, and great things happen. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and throw my tides no matter what. 
we get paid every two weeks. So on June 2nd, I got my first paycheck that month and I gave my 10%. The following week, I got a call from a recruiter from a company. We spoke on the phone. She told me I would hear something from them within a few days. Dead silence after that. I said to God, you know, I really need this job. It's only a few miles away from, ha from the house. And if you do this, I will tell my story and I will continue to give my 10%. And I've been dedicated to that. Two weeks later, I got my next paycheck and I gave my 10%. The following Tuesday, I got a call from her setting up an interview for the following day. I did the interview the following day, the first face-to-face, -face, then was told I needed to do another interview the following Wednesday, and by Friday I got a job offer. I was literally only at a job for a week. That little voice that sometimes I fight, I just decided I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna see what happened. And I got a job and it's a great job, great place to work, three miles from the house, it's just unbelievable. I took a step of faith and it worked. So, you know, there's, you know, there's three testimonies, and again, the, the testimonies can be countless. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know where you're at and, and what, you're, what you're going through in your life, but I, I will tell you this, that um, just my own personal experience and my own personal testimony, God is, like, if we, if we know that God is faithful, we have to trust that he's faithful. So just because we don't know where the answer is going to come from doesn't mean the answer is not going to come. It may come differently every time. Um, but if he's trustworthy, then we've got to trust him. And we have to trust him in all aspects of our life. And this is an area of our life that we should trust him just like every other area. It just happens to be the thing that we're talking about this morning. I believe it's important. Why? Because I've, the Bible talks about it. Jesus talked about it more than any other subject except for the kingdom of God. Um, we see it in, in New Testament scripture. We see it all in Old Testament scripture. This is an important aspect and area of our life to be living and following God in the grace of generosity. I mean, I, I remember reading a book, one of the things that, that stuck with me the, the entire, entire time reading in this book um, is there was this story uh, of this little girl, um, uh, this little orphan kid during World War II who was um, standing in front of a bakery. You know, things were... There, if you know anything about some of the stuff that happened, there's just orphans, kids everywhere and stuff because there's just no way to take care of them and parents were dying. And, um, and this this kid was, was standing in, in front of a bakery just kind of looking at some of the food that was being cooked and, and produced. And and while he was this kid was standing there, um, one of the soldiers walked up to him and, and said, hey, what you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just hungry. I hadn't eaten in days. And the soldier said, well, you know, what do you want? Do you want something? And he was like, I, I would love, yes, please. And so the kid, the, the soldier went in, bought several things for the kid, walked out and gave him a bag with food, and he turned to walk away. And when he did, the, this, this child reached out and grabbed his, his shirt and pulled on him. He said, sir, he said, are, are you God? And 
the, the, the moral of the story is this, is that like we're, we're never more like God than when we give. We're, we're never more like God than when we give. Why? Because for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave his one, his highest, greatest possession that he had, his one and only son. He gave him away for us to be abused, to be mocked, to be mistreated, to be tortured, to be murdered on a cross so that we could have everything that we need in life. Right? God is a good, generous, gracious God. And when God begins to move in our life, listen, He will begin to move in this area of our life. It doesn't mean that you've got to sell all your possessions that you have and give it to the poor. It doesn't mean any of those things. But what it does mean is that if God tells you to do something as it relates to the, the, this area of our life, you need to be obedient to do it. Be obedient to do it. And watch God not only provide for you, even when it doesn't look like God will provide or the provision's not there, okay? He will go abundantly beyond all of that if you'll just trust him. Will you stand to your feet this morning?